it a little bit, okay? The second thing is, is we've got two sets of understanding the end times. We've got a, 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 a series of tapes that's, well, it's probably about 10 years old, but it's still very relevant. It's Brother Baxter, that type of thing. And then we just, as a church, we purchased the new, the, the brand new version of it, which would be the, the new guy. What is his name? Dave Robinson. Dave Robinson, yeah. Robinson? Robbins, okay. And so we've got those two things. And one of the things that we were thinking about doing, and this is what I wanted to just kind of sow the seed to you, is we're, we're thinking about developing an end time class where we could get together maybe on a, a couple of times a month. I know we got a lot of things going in this church. We really do. We got discipleship classes. We got, you know, church and, and that type of thing. But this is a subject that you just, you can't come to a weekend seminar and think you're going to walk away from, you know, and have all this down. You're going to have to allow some time for it to, you know, to, you know, to marinate a little bit. And so that's why we're making plans to do that. And possibly this winter, I'm not saying next month, but possibly in the next couple of months, we can begin to develop that class where we can come together, we can look at the videos, we can take a little more time, and we can and begin to absorb the type of thing. So I just wanted to get you thinking on that. And so, because again, I know um, when, when you're dealing with the, the amount of information that he was dealing with here today, it just, it, sometimes the brain just doesn't quite catch up with that. So I just wanted to give that piece of information to you. How many's enjoyed this? Has this been good? That's opening up your eyes, isn't it? It really is. It really is. And, and, and expect, you know, within the next few weeks, maybe months, even days, that God will use you to witness to people about the end time. You know, and so think about that. This is a good way to bring, to, to evangelize. And so I, I expect that to happen with this group of people, and I appreciate your attendance. And so I'm going to turn the rest of this over to Brother Rona. He's got a couple of things that he's going to share with you, and then we're going to be, going to be looking at some videos. And so let's just keep on keeping on, huh? All right. Everybody say, God bless Brother and Sister Arona. Amen. So, um, you know, Brother Carnahan kind of nailed it. There's, there's just so much, and I was like, what do I share this weekend? I know I don't have enough time. What do I share? What's important? And, um, you know, I, I really think understanding this false religion stuff is important. And, I, you know, I, I, I'll tell you what came to mind. It says in um, oh, Second Corinthians chapter 2, and he starts off with this. He says um, in verse 10, To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, I forgave it for your sakes in the person of Christ. You know, we have the privilege of being, of, of exercising something that is really reserved for God. They said only God can forgive sins. But you know what? God grants us that authority. As a matter of fact, he expects us to utilize that authority from him and to take it another step and even ask the Lord to forgive him. And, and so, uh, because here it is. For your sakes, I forgave it in the person of Christ. Verse 11 says, lest Satan should get an advantage over us. And you can't put it up because, okay, that's okay. For, and here it is. For we are not ignorant of his devices. Okay, 
That's the scripture that I was thinking, the part of scripture, that we're not ignorant of his devices. Hopefully after this morning, you're not quite as, and we don't know everything, but you're a little bit less ignorant of the yes. devices of Satan because yes. this is ugly. This is a, a very sinister, dark thing that's going on and disguised as Christianity, disguised as other religion, disguised as a peace movement when it's really the, the agenda of Satan to take over the world government and the world religion and put it all towards him. Amen. So his devices, I hope you know a little bit more about that. What we want to show you is um, Brother Baxter's teaching on uh, the agenda, and that's exactly what I just mentioned, the agenda of Satan, and also how we can know and how the Antichrist is going to um, operate. They're just a little over 30 minutes each, so we'll try and get through those. I'll try not to pause it very much, and he's going to roll it. We're going to Revelation 13. The entire 13th chapter of Revelation is devoted to Satan's plan for the end time. You might know Satan's chapter would be chapter 13. Verse 1 through 8 describe the Antichrist and the nations that will make up his world government. Verses 11 through 15 describe the one world religion of the end time and the leader of that global religion, the false prophet. Verses 16 through 18 describe the economic system of the global government. Economic control will be the mechanism used to force conformity to the world government and the global religion. This economic system is called the mark of the beast. The prophecy foretelling the end time world government is found in Revelation 13, 1 through 2. And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. In order to understand this prophecy, notice the different symbols used in describing this beast. 
the body of a leopard, the feet of a bear, the mouth of a lion, and seven heads and 10 horns. These symbols are clearly explained in another prophecy found in the Old Testament. It is absolutely impossible to understand the Revelation 13 prophecy without first understanding the Old Testament prophecy that identifies each of these symbols. We're looking now at what I consider the most important prophecy in the entire Bible. We find this prophecy in Daniel chapter 7, verses 1 through 8. Without understanding this prophecy, it is absolutely impossible to understand some of the key prophecies found in Revelation. Let's look now at Daniel chapter 7, verse 1 through 3. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of the heaven strove upon the great sea, and four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from another. Let's pause a moment to point out that prophecy is almost always written in symbols, but they are symbols that will have meaning at the time of the prophetic fulfillment. Now these four beasts in Daniel chapter seven, verse one through eight, were a lion with eagle's wings, a bear with three ribs in its mouth, a leopard with four heads and four wings of a fowl, and then the last beast was so different from anything Daniel had ever seen that he really couldn't give a name to it. So he merely described it as having 10 horns. So what do these beasts symbolize? We can know. We don't have to guess because the symbols are explained for us later on in the very chapter where the prophecy is given. In Daniel 7, 17, it states, These great beasts which are four, are four kings which shall arise out of the earth. Daniel 7.23 explains it further. Thus he said, The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, and shall tread it down and break it in pieces. So what do these beasts symbolize? Verse 17 says they symbolize kings. Verse 23 says they symbolize kingdoms. So a beast in Bible prophecy symbolizes a kingdom or a nation along with the ruler of that kingdom or nation. So that's the first big clue to understand this very important and critical prophecy. Our next question though is, when will these nations exist? After all, this is a 2,500-year-old prophecy. Could it be that it was fulfilled 2,000 years ago or 1,000 years ago? Well, Daniel chapter 7, verse 9 tells us, I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. Right after giving us these 
four different nations, the prophecies about them. Daniel said, I watched until the thrones were cast down and the ancient of days, Jesus Christ did sit. Now throughout the Bible, we are told that mankind will be allowed to rule himself until it becomes obvious that he cannot rule himself. After that time, then Jesus Christ will return to the earth. He will put down the thrones of men and he will be crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He will then usher in his 1,000 year kingdom we normally refer to as the millennial kingdom. Daniel 7 verse 11 gives us even a clearer picture as to when these nations will be upon the earth. Listen to it. I beheld then because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake. I beheld even till the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. Now let's pause a moment because we're going to find out in a little bit that the ten horns of the last beast symbolize ten kings. And then another horn comes up among the ten, uprooting three of them. And this last horn that comes up will then wax great and becomes the Antichrist. Now the Bible teaches that when Jesus Christ comes, this Antichrist who will have been ruling a one world government for a very short period of time just before the second coming of Jesus back to the earth. When Jesus comes, he will destroy this leader called the Antichrist, sometimes referred to as the beast. And this passage tells us in verse 11, his body will be destroyed and given to the burning flame. Another scripture that tells us this same thing is found in Revelation 19, 20. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. So there it is. The Antichrist and his religious partner, the false prophet, will be cast into the lake of fire at the time of the second coming. Now watch close because this next verse gives us critical information. As concerning the rest of the beasts, now remember what beasts are? Nations. They had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and time. So the Antichrist is going to be destroyed at the second coming of Jesus, but the rest of the nations will be allowed to live on. That means these nations will exist on the earth at the time of the Antichrist. Okay, now let's make sure we clearly understand this. So when Jesus Christ comes, destroys the Antichrist and his one world government, all the rest of these nations in Daniel 7 will also be existing on the earth. So when the Antichrist is destroyed, the other nations are not going to be destroyed. They are going to continue to live on the earth under the rulership of Jesus Christ and his church in the time called the kingdom of God or called the millennium. Now, critical point, this is what we need to remember. Jesus Christ will return to the earth during the lifetime of these nations prophesied in Daniel 7. So if we can prove that these nations all exist on the earth right now, 
then we can prove we're in the era of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, before we actually proceed to do that, I want to point out that if you've read other commentaries on the book of Revelation, you've probably read a traditional view of Daniel 7. The lion is Babylon, the bear is Media Persia, the leopard is Greece, and the ten-horned kingdom is the Roman Empire. Where does this come from? There's no real proof that this is true. Furthermore, the Bible proves it's not true. Let's go to the very next chapter, Daniel chapter 8, verse 20 through 21. In this chapter, there's a ram fighting against a he-goat. In chapter 8, verse 20 and 21, it says, The ram which thou sawest having two horns are the kings of Media and Persia, and the rough goat is the king of Grecia. So, the ram is Media Persia, not the bear, as the traditional view has been. And the goat is Greece, not the leopard, as has been commonly taught. Remember, all these kingdoms in Daniel 7 must be on the earth at the time of the second coming of Jesus. So if we can prove these nations symbolized by the lion, the bear, the leopard, and the ten-horned beast, if we can prove they're on the earth right now, we can prove that we're in the time of the second coming of Jesus to this earth. Let's see if we can do it. Let's go back and look now at the description of each of these beasts. Daniel 7, 4 says, The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked, and it was lifted up from the earth and made stand upon the feet as a man and a man's heart was given to it. When I was studying this, just as a young man, I thought, well, who's the lion? Once I saw that these nations had to be on the earth at the time of the second coming, and because I believed we were in the era of the second coming, I thought, what nation on earth today could be the lion? Well, in my simplicity, I went to Webster's Third International Dictionary and looked up the name lion. And I couldn't believe what I saw. It said there, a symbol of a country, Great Britain. I thought, oh, so the lion is Great Britain. Later on, I had the opportunity to go to London. And as I stood there at Trafalgar Square in London, I saw four huge lions, one looking north, one looking south, one looking east, one looking west. And then as I traveled through Great Britain, there were lions everywhere because the lion is the official symbol of the nation of Great Britain or the United Kingdom. Well, once I saw that, I thought, well, let's take a look at the next beast. I went to Daniel chapter 7, verse 5, where it talks about the bear. And behold, another beast, a second, like to a bear, and it raised up itself on one side, and it had three ribs in the mouth of it, between the teeth of it, and they said thus unto it, Arise, devour much flesh. Well, I already knew that there was a major nation whose symbol was the bear. And then it was May the 21st of 1984 that I picked up Time magazine. And on the front page, I saw this big grizzly bear biting the Olympic rings in two. 
people. The story was that America had boycotted the Olympics in 1980, so in retaliation, the Soviets, which of course today is known as Russia, the Soviets decided to boycott the Olympics in 1984. That's the reason in demonstrating this feature story for Time That Week with the caption, why the Soviets said yet. The word yet in Russian is the word for no. Well, then I found another magazine, The Economist magazine, February the 6th through the 12th of 1999, and it had a picture of the Russian bear, and there on the front page was the picture of the bear trying to get honey out of a bowl. The Russian finances was in a horrible array at the time, so that was the story in The Economist magazine. Then July the 4th through the 10th of 2009, there was a picture of President Obama walking up the steps of an airplane. He was leaving to make his first foreign visit to Russia. He gets to the top, but when he gets to the top, he walks straight into the jaws of the Russian bear. Now, The Economist magazine is known as the most influential periodical in the world. It's called the periodical of kings and presidents is published out of London by Lord Rothschild. So here it depicts President Obama walking into the jaws of the Russian bear. Almighty God knew this 2,500 years ago. So in the prophecies about the nations that will exist on the earth in the end time, just before his second coming, he used the official symbol of Great Britain, the lion, and the official symbol of Russia, the bear, because he wanted you and me to understand the nations that would be on the earth at the time of the second coming. Now, in the Indianapolis Star on January the 4th of 1980, and by now I was starting to understand all of these prophecies, but I was not prepared for what I saw because the big bold headline all across the top of the editorial page that day, it said, after the British lion, the Russian bear. And it was talking about Britain pulling out of the Middle East and Russia moving in as an influence. But to see the very symbols that God used 2,500 years ago for Great Britain and for Russia, to see it on the on the editorial page of a secular newspaper, well, I'll just tell you, I was wowed by it. I thought, look at this. And the prophecy was written 2,500 years ago. Here I am today looking at it in the Indianapolis Star. Okay, let's look at the eagle now. There's something I didn't tell you when we talked about the lion. Let's go back to Daniel 7:4. The first was like a lion, and had eagle's wings. I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked, and it was lifted up from the earth, and made stand upon the feet as a man, and a man's heart was given to it. Okay, well I knew that the eagle is the official emblem of the United States of America. I mean, just take a look at the back of your dollar bill, and there you'll see the American eagle. That is our official symbol. And I looked at the back of the dollar bill and I thought, okay, God, what are you telling me? And of course, when you go to the post office, you're very likely to see the picture of the American Eagle on a lot of governmental buildings. It's there because that is our official symbol. So I thought, okay, so the U.S. is growing out of the lion, 
Where do we come from? We grew out of Great Britain, our mother country. How did God know all this 2,300 years before the Declaration of Independence? It's amazing. Now, there's another Time Magazine article, October the 27th of 1980. It depicts the eagle and the bear overlooking the globe. The globe has a fuse, the fuse is lit, and the caption says, the Gulf, speaking of the Persian Gulf, the Middle East, will it explode? Time Magazine is using the symbols from God's Bible. Okay, I was speaking on this subject. It was way back in September of 1988. There was a book out called 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return in 1988. I, my phone was ringing off the hook because I specialize in Bible prophecy. People were saying, hey, this guy is saying that Jesus is coming back between September the 9th and September the 13th of 1988. Is it going to happen? I said, no, it's not going to happen. A friend of mine called me saying, look, they're so excited about this down here. It's on all of the talk programs. Would you please come down and do a prophecy conference for me at this time? I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. They say that the coming is supposed to happen between September the 9th, September the 13th. I'll come on the 9th and I'll stay through the 14th. And if the Lord comes, I guess I'll go to heaven from Tennessee. Anyway, I went down there. And I, the first night I spoke on Great Britain, the United States, Russia, and Germany in Bible prophecy. Well, after the meeting, we went out to grab a bite to eat at a local Shoney's restaurant. We're standing there before going in, talking with the pastor and different members of the church. And one of the young ladies had drifted over to the newspaper displays in front of the restaurant. And all of a sudden she screamed out and said, right there it is, look at that. Well, we all rushed over and there on the front page of USA Today, September the 9th, 1988, was a picture of the Russian bear nose to nose with Uncle Sam. And this caption said, USA, USSR, Glasnost. There will be more of this. Now don't forget, it states that the wings were broken off and was made stand upon the feet as a man and a man's heart was given to it. We're gonna talk in a moment about what that means. First of all though, the breaking of the eagle's wings away from the lion. We all know that the Declaration of Independence happened on July the 4th, 1776. Would it surprise you to realize that July is the seventh month? It happened on the fourth day. Do you realize the prophecy of the breaking of the eagle's wings away from the lion happened in the seventh chapter, in the fourth verse, Daniel 7, 4? Pretty amazing. Well, then it says, that the eagle was lifted up and given the heart of a man. What could that mean? Well, you know as well as I do that the United States has two symbols, not one. We have the eagle and we have Uncle Sam. Everything fits perfectly. Why did God do all this? Because he wanted you and me to understand when he was coming. But he didn't want everybody to understand. He only gave the understanding to those that would diligently seek him. That's what we're doing today. Let's look now at the leopard. Daniel 7, 6 tells us about the leopard. After this I beheld, and lo, another like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl, 
The beast had also four heads, and dominion was given to it. Well, this is where I got stuck. I mean, after all, once I saw the lion, Great Britain, the bear, Russia, the uh, eagle, United States, I mean, it was pretty, it was drop dead easy. I thought this prophecy stuff was pretty easy. Now, I'm a young man, about 22 years of age at the time. But then I got to the leopard and I couldn't get it. I would open my Bible, I would pray saying, God, what about the leopard? You showed me the rest of this. I don't understand the leopard. I was preaching a revival in Melville, Louisiana. My off day was on Monday. We held revival Tuesday through Sunday. And so that was my day to rest and sleep in. About nine o'clock in the morning, I woke up and the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me so clear. It was not an audible voice, but it was in my mind. It's like the Lord said, go buy a newspaper. I've got something I want to show you. Well, it was so vivid, I jumped out of bed, put on some clothes, washed my face, combed my hair, and I stepped outside. Now, in this little town of Melville, they had one stop light and one filling station and one little grocery store, and that was about it. And I didn't know where I could even buy a newspaper, so I stepped outside. One of the ladies was there cleaning the church, so I said to her, where could I buy a newspaper? And she paused. She said, you know, really, I don't know. Now, she had lived in Melville 25 years. I don't think she was very much keeping up on the news. But then she said, you know, there's a little cafe over here. They may have one. I jumped in my car, drove over to the little cafe. I didn't go there to eat. I went there to buy a paper. I walked inside and sure enough, I spotted it over in the corner of the restaurant, I saw the newspaper machine. I put my dime in, that shows you it was a long time ago. I put it in, I pulled out the newspaper and I was stunned by what I read. Germany sells leopard tanks to the Netherlands. I had been asking God to show me who the leopard was. Well, I knew that America had some military equipment named after our eagle. As a matter of fact, we had a plane called the Eagle Fighter. And I read the article and it stated there that the leopard tank is the world's number one tank. Well, I searched further, I finally found out that Webster's online dictionary says, the leopard is also the unofficial national animal replacing the tiger, which was along with the eagle, the national animal of Nazi Germany. Now, don't forget though, when it talks about the leopard, the Bible says that dominion was given to the leopard. I thought, what does that mean? Well, then it dawned on me that one nation has started the last three major wars, the Franco-German War of 1870, World War I, World War II, were all plotted, planned, and started by Germany, the leopard. Well, I continued to dig because I wanted to make sure I was right. And on April the 9th of 1984, I read from Newsweek magazine an article, and it was entitled, The German Malady. The word malady, of course, means sickness. So in this article, it said, since the time of Charlemagne, the area that is now Germany has been the pivot of European history. In the past 120 years, the Germans have, watch this word, dominated Europe intellectually, industrially and militarily. Remember, dominion was given to the leopard. All the pieces came together. And when I thought about 
Germany having dominion. Of course, Germany started, like we said, the Franco-German War, World War I, World War II. During World War II, Germany almost conquered the entire world. Actually, it's a miracle that Adolf Hitler did not succeed in his world-ruling ambitions. This miracle is listed probably in your encyclopedia as a miracle. It's called the miracle of Dunkirk. Here's what happened. The German forces were sweeping through Europe. They swept very rapidly through France. The Allied armies were caught in a pincher movement by the famous Blitzkrieg attack of the Nazi forces. And they had the Allied forces pinned against the English Channel. It was such a precarious situation that Winston Churchill actually called for a worldwide day of prayer and fasting. He asked the whole world, we're in trouble. We need God's help. Well, God, did he ever help? Because Hitler was back in his bunker and he watched at the progress. It was just happening too easy. So he decided perhaps he was falling into a trap. Something said to him, you're falling into a trap. So he ordered a halt for reassessment. He called his generals off the front lines. Now they were vivid with anger because they knew they had it, but they couldn't disobey their commander in chief. So back to Hitler's command bunker they went. And after consulting with his generals, Hitler decided, okay, it's all right, everything's fine. And he said, okay, go back, finish the job. Well, while they were back consulting with Adolf Hitler, Churchill and the commanders of the Allied armies mobilized every boat in France and in Britain. Now, you know that Britain is separated from France by the English Channel, about 18 miles wide, and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, they mobilized every boat they could get their hands on, and they pulled out over 338,000 men, the heart of the Allied army, and they got over safely into England. So that's the reason it's called the miracle of Dunkirk. When Hitler cranked his war machine back up, he only captured 40,000 troops. The rest of them lived to fight again another day. Now, before we leave the leopard though, we need to ask the question, why did the leopard have four heads? The lion had one head, the bear had one head, but the leopard had four, why? Well, because a beast in Bible prophecy symbolizes a nation or an empire, but multiple heads on a beast portray the number of times that nation will rise and fall. Well, there's been the First Reich, the Second Reich, Hitler's famous Third Reich, the word Reich means kingdom, and the Fourth Reich, which is now rising. I actually have a book in my library entitled The Fourth and Richest Reich by Edwin Hartrich, how Germany conquered the post-war world economically. Oh, one more thing about the leopard. The prophecy states that on the back of the leopard were four wings of a fowl. Now I wondered about this for a long time, but one day I stumbled across some information you all have probably heard of the Franco-German alliance. Since World War II, France and Germany have worked together to rebuild Europe. It's called the Franco-German alliance. 
together they have built the common market, which now has become the powerful European Union. Well, the Franco-German alliance here is depicted as the wings of a fowl. I found out that the official emblem of France is a rooster, which is a fowl. So here you have Germany with the wings of France, the rooster on its back with the four heads, the first Reich, the second Reich, the third Reich, the fourth Reich. These prophecies are so accurate. And remember, written 2,500 years ago, but all coming to pass right now. The last beast in the Daniel 7 prophecy talks about a 10-horned beast. Here's what it says in Daniel 7, 7. Behold a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, and strong exceedingly and it had great iron teeth. It devoured and brake in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it. And it had 10 horns. First question, what are the 10 horns? We don't have to guess. Like I said before, the symbols in the prophecy are interpreted for us later on in the chapter. Verse 24 of chapter seven says, And the 10 horns out of this kingdom are 10 kings that shall arise. So a beast represents a nation or a kingdom, but multiple horns represent the number of kings in a given alliance. Now there's another prophecy about these same 10 horns in Revelation 17, 12 through 14. Now this is talking about during the reign of the Antichrist. And the 10 horns which thou sawest are 10 kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind, and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them. For he is Lord of lords, and King of kings, and they that are with him are called, and chosen, and faithful. These ten horns, these ten kings, which will give their power and strength unto the Antichrist, and together with the Antichrist, they will fight against the Lamb, Jesus Christ, at his second coming. Now let's ask this question. Who is the little horn that comes up among the ten in Uproach 3? Daniel 7, 8 tells us. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots, and behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of man, and a mouth speaking great things. The little horn that comes up in Uproach 3 will be the Antichrist. How do we know that? Because Daniel 7, 21 through 22 tells us. I beheld, and the same horn made war with the saints, and prevailed against them, until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. So this last little horn is gonna make war against the saints until the second coming of Jesus. It actually tells us in this passage. Well, let's actually read it, Daniel 7, 23. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth and shall tread it down and break it in pieces. Now, what does this tell us? It tells us the Antichrist will make war against the saints for time, times, and half a time, for three and a half years. The Bible tells us the Great Tribulation will last 
for three and a half years. Now, many commentaries say the Great Tribulation is seven years. Would it surprise you to know there's not one scripture in the entire Bible that teaches a seven-year tribulation, but there are six specific scriptures that say the Great Tribulation will last for three and a half years. In this chapter, it says the Antichrist will make war against the saints for time, times and a half a time, three and a half years. And then verse number 27 of Daniel 7 tells us, And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. This depicts the second coming of Jesus Christ when he puts down all thrones. Remember, Daniel 7, 9, I beheld till the thrones were cast down and the Ancient of Days did sit. This is depicting the establishment of the kingdom of God. Let's talk about our next lesson. Now that we know the identity of the lion, the eagle, the bear, the leopard, and the ten-horned beast, we will explain in our next lesson why the nations that are symbolized by these beasts, why they are merged into one beast in Revelation chapter 13. As I stated, if we don't understand Daniel 7, we cannot understand the combined beast with the body of the leopard, the feet of the bear, the mouth of the lion, and the ten horns of the ten horn kingdom. Now this is gonna be a great revelation that every single one of us must understand because we are living in the middle of this development right now. Whatever you do, don't miss the next lesson. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. We want to worship you in spirit and truth. Oh, praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You're worthy. You're worthy, Jesus. Hallelujah. We're looking for you. We're looking for you, Lord. Hallelujah. We will be faithful to the end, Lord. Hallelujah. We can make it, Lord, by your grace. We can make it by your power, Lord. Hallelujah. We stand in your promises, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 You're ready to go. We're ready to go if you are. Amen. If you need to go out and do something, we're going to go ahead and run it. Just do what you need to do. We won't be rude.
in lesson 11, we learned from Daniel chapter 7, the identity of the lion, Great Britain, the bear, Russia, the eagle, the United States, the leopard, Germany, and the ten-horned beast, a future ten-nation European alliance. This will enable us to understand the coming world government depicted in Revelation 13, verses 1 through 8. It is amazing that the symbols used in the book of Daniel, written around 550 B.C., were used again in the book of Revelation, written in about 95 A.D., some 650 years later. This was only possible because God was the author of both books. The passage using the symbols from Daniel is found in Revelation 13, verses 1 and 2. And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power, and his seat, and great authority. In Daniel 7, the nations symbolized by these beasts were shown as separate nations. However, when we move from Daniel 7 to Revelation 13, the nations are no longer depicted as separate. They have now merged into one beast or one empire. Yet, almost all of the nations in Daniel 7 are included in the combo beast of Revelation 13. When I was attempting to understand the Revelation 13 prophecy back in 1968, it appeared that Great Britain, Russia, Germany, and the future 10-nation union were prophesied to merge into one empire. However, at the time, the world was in the heights of the Cold War. Great Britain and Germany were bitter enemies to Russia at that time, the Soviet Union. It seemed the prophesied world government could not possibly happen. While attempting to understand the Revelation 13 prophecy, I visited a local newsstand. My eyes fell on the cover of Life magazine, which featured a headline, Three and One Half Superpowers. The edition of the magazine was March 29, 1968. The article was written by George W. Ball, who was serving as Undersecretary of State of the United States at the time. Ball stated, there were enough nuclear weapons in the world to destroy the entire world. He said that some kind of world order needed to be established to protect mankind from possible nuclear annihilation. Any one of our warheads, even the tiniest battlefield weapon, could, by breaking the nuclear taboo, trigger an escalation of violence that might effectively wipe out our civilization. At the time, Four powers, the United States, the European Union, the Soviet Union, and Japan controlled 80% of the world's wealth. Ball proposed that these four powers, Japan was his half power, could use their control of the world's wealth to prevent a nuclear war from becoming a reality. When I read Ball's article, 
I realized he was proposing a world governing structure very similar to what I saw prophesied in Revelation 13 for the latter days. Since that time, we have seen the formation of the international community through globalization and the formation of many other structures of global governance. So the question is, is this passage really prophesying world government? Revelation 13, 7 specifically states, And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. Notice that power was given to the world government and its ruler over all kindreds and tongues and nations. Daniel 7.23 also describes the coming world government. Thus he said, The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, and shall tread it down, and break it in pieces. Again, the prophecy specifically says, The world government and its ruler shall devour the whole earth. So, is world government forming now? Since World War I, many world leaders have attempted to form some type of world government to save mankind from the possibility of a world-ending war. At the end of World War I, U.S. President Woodrow Wilson championed the formation of a world governing structure called the League of Nations. When the U.S. Congress realized the League of Nations would infringe on American sovereignty, the lawmakers refused to ratify Wilson's plan. Consequently, the League of Nations was rejected before it could get off the ground. However, the idea of some sort of world government was not dead. After 52 million were killed in World War II and the nuclear bomb entered the world, the cry for the establishment of some kind of organization to prevent war became deafening. President Franklin D. Roosevelt led the drive to establish a system of global governance. When the war ended in 1945, the United Nations was formed. Again, the U.S. Congress saw the effort toward global governance as a threat to American sovereignty. In order to gain American acceptance of the UN, the founders made a critical compromise. They granted veto power to the United States over the decisions of the UN Security Council where the UN's power would reside. When the other victor nations of World War II realized the US was being given veto power, they demanded the same for themselves. Thus, the Big Five was established. The United States, Great Britain, France, the Soviet Union, which today is Russia, and China were granted veto power over the actions of the UN Security Council. This saved the UN from being rejected, but it also prevented the UN from becoming a true instrument of world government. With the exception of the Big Five, the rest of the nations in the world with no veto power entered world government in 1945. 
Since that time, there have been repeated efforts to eliminate the veto power of the Big Five so the United Nations could become a true world government. Until now, each of these efforts have been vetoed. However, the drive toward world government will ultimately succeed. As we have shown, it is prophesied in the Bible and the prophecies always come to pass. The Cold War delayed the world government. At the end of World War II, Stalin, Churchill, and Roosevelt met at Yalta to determine the shape of the post-war world. It was here that Stalin attempted to gain in peace what Hitler had failed to gain in war. The countries of Eastern Europe were placed under Stalin's control and under the iron heel of communism. A horrible act of espionage allowed this to happen. The world was sick of war after the unprecedented devastation of World War II. Roosevelt was a dying man during the negotiations. He died two months later. By Roosevelt's side, carrying the bulk of the negotiations for the dying president was a young diplomatic star by the name of Alger Hiss. Five years later, Hiss was convicted of lying about being a spy for the Soviet Union. He went to prison for the next 44 months. At Yalta, the Soviet Union had its man on both sides of the table. No wonder half of Europe was given to the Soviets. By the way, the same Alger Hiss served as Secretary General of the UN Organizing Conference in San Francisco in 1945, shortly after Yalta. No wonder the UN Charter took on the form of a future one world socialist government. And should it surprise us that Antonio Guterres, the world's leading socialist, is the Secretary General of the United Nations at the time of this video production. Antonio Guterres served as Prime Minister of Portugal as the leader of the Socialist Party from 1995 to 2002. He also served as President of the Socialist International from 1999 to 2005. He was chosen as Secretary General of the UN in 2016 with the full support of then-President Barack Obama. Guterres assumed office on January 1 of 2017. Now we've got to stop to ask the question, what happened to the eagle's wings? They're not found in the Revelation 13, one through two prophecy. It's clear from the prophecy of the combo beast of Revelation 13 that Great Britain, Germany, Russia, and a future 10 nation alliance will make up the world government of the end time. This presents us with a critical question. The eagle's wings that were in Daniel 7 are not included in the combined beast of Revelation 13. What will happen to the United States? It is apparent the U.S. is not included in the end-time world government of the Antichrist. The eagle's wings do appear one other place in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 12, there is a woman with 12 stars around her head, 
The woman is Israel, and the 12 stars represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Revelation 12, 13 through 14 describes Satan making war against Israel during the final three and one half years called the Great Tribulation. It also tells us about the role of the United States during this time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman who brought forth the man-child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she is nourished for a time, and times, and half a time, from the face of the serpent. This prophecy indicates that the United States will defend Israel from Satan and his one world government during the end time. Remember, this prophecy was written 2,000 years ago, long before America even existed as a nation. Yet, we are watching this prophecy being fulfilled with incredible accuracy right now. America cast the deciding vote on November 29, 1947, when the United Nations voted for the creation of the modern state of Israel. Since that time, the U.S. has used its veto power at least 43 times at the United Nations to protect Israel from resolutions that would have been hurtful to Israel. Under the Trump administration, America recognized Jerusalem as Israel's capital and moved the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem in spite of bitter opposition from the U.N. The United States finally and officially recognized Jerusalem as the true capital of Israel. Today, we follow through on this recognition and open our embassy in the historic and sacred land of Jerusalem. The U.S. also recognized Israel's annexation of the Golan Heights. The eagle will continue to protect Israel from the animosity of the end-time world government throughout the time of the Great Tribulation. America's veto power on the UN Security Council and the unrivaled military might of the United States enables the U.S. to defy the world community while defending the nation of Israel. Before we leave our discussion of verse 2 of Revelation 13, there's one more vital thing to understand. And his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. Some have mistakenly taught that the dragon here refers to China. However, Revelation 12:9 clearly explains who the dragon is. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So Revelation 13:2 clearly states that it is Satan who will give the world government prophesied for the times just ahead, its power, seat, and great authority. From this passage, we clearly understand that the drive for world government is inspired by Satan himself. It is important that we understand why Satan is the driving force behind the formation of the coming world government. Satan's goal has always been that the whole world would worship him. 
This cannot be accomplished until Satan obtains control over the entire world. Revelation 13 paints a picture of a world government and its leader that will ultimately dominate the world and will demand that all under his control will worship or pledge allegiance to him. When people pledge their allegiance to the emerging world government, they will really be worshiping Satan himself. No wonder the advocates of world government are so radical in their drive towards their new world order. They are unknowingly being motivated by Satan himself. Revelation 13.3 explains another vital piece of the puzzle that we need to understand. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed and all the world wondered after the beast. Many prophecy students have taught from this scripture that the Antichrist will be killed and that it will raise from the dead. They teach this will result in the world following the Antichrist. But is this what the scripture actually says? We cannot possibly understand this important prophecy unless we carefully notice what the passage actually says. It says that one of the heads of the beast was wounded to death and his deadly wound was healed. The beast had seven heads. One of these heads was wounded to death and then the deadly wound was healed. Remember that the beast of Revelation 13, 1 through 2 is a union of the four beasts of Daniel 7. The four beasts of Daniel 7 had a total of seven heads. One head of the lion, one head of the bear, four heads of the leopard, and one of the ten horned beasts. Now for the important question. Which of the seven heads was wounded to death and then healed? Remember from Daniel 7 that the leopard Germany had four heads. The four heads represented the First Reich, the Second Reich, Hitler's famous Third Reich, and the Fourth Reich, which is presently rising. There is a book written by Edwin Hartrich entitled The Fourth and Richest Reich, How the Germans Conquered the Post-War World. At the end of World War II, the Allies wrestled with a critical question. Germany had plunged the world into war three times within the last 70 years. She had started the Franco-German War of 1870, World War I, and World War II. The Allies concluded there was something within the German soul that caused its people to have a penchant for going to war. The conclusion was reached that something dramatic needed to be done to ensure that Germany would never again be able to plunge the world into conflict. It was decided that Germany would be split in half, creating East Germany and West Germany. East Germany would be placed under the Soviet sphere of influence, and West Germany would be controlled by the Western sphere of influence. This would diminish each of the Germanys so that neither sector would have the population base nor the financial power to threaten world peace again. West Germany was officially established in May of 1949, and East Germany was established in October of the same year. 
Headlines around the world screamed, Germany is dead. She will never rise again. Over the next few years, the Western powers began to rebuild West Germany and to move her toward democracy. During the same time, the Soviet Union installed communism in East Germany as totalitarianism was imposed upon the East Germans, many of them began to flee to the freedom of West Germany. This was especially true among the professional classes. One of the favorite routes to freedom was Germany's former capital of Berlin. When Germany was divided, Berlin was also divided, creating East Berlin and West Berlin. The increasing flight of professionals from East Germany became known as the brain drain. In order to stop the continual hemorrhage of talent from East Germany, the Soviets constructed a 29-mile wall through Berlin that became known as the Berlin Wall. The wall was constructed in August of 1961. The wall became the symbol of the division between communist powers of Eastern Europe and the democratic powers of Western Europe. This ideological divide became known as the Iron Curtain. Throughout the 1960s, the yearning for reunification, especially in Germany, grew. Aunts and uncles, cousins, and even brothers and sisters were separated by the hated Berlin Wall. In his famous magazine article in Life magazine, March 29, 1968, three and one half superpowers, George W. Ball described the division of Germany as a rusty knife wound that must someday be healed. When I saw Ball's reference to the German division as a rusty knife wound, I immediately thought of the Bible's reference to the head that would be wounded to death. On the 25th anniversary of the building of the Berlin Wall, USA Today carried an article entitled, Berlin Wall, West, Somber, East is Festive. The article stated the Berlin Wall's 25th anniversary Wednesday spotlighted its unique role as the stark symbol of East-West differences, the bricks and mortar of propaganda, the 29-mile wound that won't heal. Once again, a major news source referred to the Berlin Wall as the wound that won't heal. The Berlin Wall finally came down on November the 9th of 1989. Reporting on this momentous event, Time Magazine's article was entitled, Wall of Shame, 1961 through 1989. The article stated it was the most palpable evidence of a deep wound in European civilization, and it is finally gone. To review. Life Magazine referred to the Berlin Wall as the rusty knife wound that must be healed. USA Today called the Berlin Wall the 29-mile wound that won't heal. Finally, Time Magazine called the Berlin Wall a deep wound in European civilization. The fall of the Berlin Wall was the healing of the deadly wound. The last part of verse 3 states that the healing of the deadly wound will cause the whole world to wonder after the beast, speaking of the Antichrist and his world government. 
Within 20 days of the fall of the Berlin Wall, President George Herbert Walker Bush, Mikhail Gorbachev, and Pope John Paul II met together at Malta in the Mediterranean Sea. They came out of those meetings announcing the birth of the new world order. President Bush said, We have before us the opportunity to forge for ourselves and for future generations a new world order, a world where the rule of law, not the law of the jungle, governs the conduct of nations. When we are successful, and we will be, we have a real chance at this new world order, an order in which a credible United Nations can use its peacekeeping role to fulfill the promise and vision of the UN's founders. Very shortly after this time, we began to hear about globalization. We were told that we must think globally. Terms like the world community, the international community, and global governance entered the vocabulary of people everywhere. World government organizations began to gain prominence. Some of them were the World Bank, the International Monetary Fund, the World Health Organization, the World Trade Organization, the International Criminal Court, and many others. On July 20th, 1992, Time Magazine featured an article titled, The Birth of the Global Nation by Strobe Talbot. In his article, Talbot said that in the 21st century, national sovereignty would cease to exist, that we would all answer to a single global authority. Talbot went on to serve as Deputy Secretary of State for seven years under President Bill Clinton. Walter Cronkite was known as America's newsman for many years. After his retirement, he was given the 1999 Norman Cousins Global Governance Award by the World Federalist Association for his work toward the formation of a world government. First, we Americans are going to have to yield up some of our sovereignty. That's going to be, to many, a bitter pill. It would take a lot of courage, a lot of faith, a lot of persuasion to them to come along with us on this necessity. Today, we must develop federal structures on a global level to deal with world problems. We need a system of enforceable world law, a democratic federal world government. William Benton, Assistant Secretary of State in 1946, said this, as long as a child breathes the poisoned air of nationalism, education in world-mindedness can produce only precarious results. As we have pointed out, it is frequently the family that infects the child with extreme nationalism. The schools should, therefore, combat family attitudes that favor nationalism. We shall see presently recognized in nationalism the major obstacle to the development of world-mindedness. We are at the beginning of a long process of breaking down the walls of national sovereignty. UNESCO must be the pioneer. This statement was made before the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, briefly known as UNESCO. Baker James Paul Warburg said this, 
We will have a world government whether you like it or not. The only question is whether that government will be achieved by conquest or consent. This was stated February the 17th, 1950, before the U.S. Senate Committee on Foreign Relations. James Paul Warburg's father, Paul Warburg, was responsible for the creation of the Federal Reserve Bank in 1913. He was a trustee until his death of the Brookings Institute, which was founded in 1916. He became a director of the Council on Foreign Relations at its founding in 1921. These three organizations have all used their power to promote the integration of America into the forming system of global governance. Richard Gardner, former Deputy Assistant Secretary of State, said, we are likely to do better by building our house of world order from bottom up rather than from top down, an end run around national sovereignty, eroding it piece by piece, is likely to get us to world order faster than the old-fashioned frontal assault. This is from Foreign Affairs Magazine, April of 1974. Mr. David Rockefeller said this, we are on the verge of a global transformation all we need is the right major crisis and the nations will accept the new world order. This statement was made to the United Nations Business Council in 1994. Mikhail Gorbachev in 1987 said, we are moving toward a new world, the world of communism. We shall never turn off that road. That was from the Chicago Tribune. June 15 of 1989. Then this article, a taste of the ideas doing the rounds in Obama circles is offered by a recent report from the Managing Global Insecurity Project, whose small U.S. advisory group includes John Podesta, the man leading Mr. Obama's transition team, and Strobe Talbot, the president of the Brookings Institute, from which Miss Susan Rice has just emerged. How long will the Antichrist rule? Revelation 13, five through six, describes the Antichrist, the dictator that will rule over the end time world government. And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue 40 and two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. The only good thing about the Antichrist is that his reign of terror will be for a relatively short time. Verse five states that he will be given power to continue for 42 months. This same time frame for the reign of the Antichrist is given in Daniel 7:25, where it states that the Antichrist will make war against the saints for time and times and dividing of time, which is another terminology for three and one half years. Verse five tells us that the Antichrist will be given a mouth speaking great things. Apparently this last day dictator will be a terrific orator. He will speak against God, his name, and his tabernacle. The apostle Paul describes the Antichrist 
also referred to as the man of sin and the son of perdition, in the same way, 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 4 says, the Antichrist will exalt himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped, and that he will sit in the temple of God claiming to be God. Let's talk for a moment about the great tribulation. Revelation 13, 7. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. This passage tells us that the Antichrist and his world government will be allowed to make war against God's people for three and one half years. It's interesting that most prophecy commentaries say that the Great Tribulation will last for seven years. Yet there is not one scripture in the entire Bible that teaches a seven-year tribulation. Every scripture that describes the length of the Great Tribulation says that it will be 42 months, time, times, and half a time, or 1,260 days. You can verify this in Daniel 7.25, Daniel 12, 7, Revelation 13, 5, Revelation 12, 6, Revelation 12, 14, and Revelation 11, 3. There is a seven-year period called Daniel's 70th week, referred to in Daniel 9, 27. However, it states that the abomination of desolation will occur in the middle of the 70th week, or the seven-year period. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 15 through 21, that the abomination of desolation, which occurs halfway through the seven years, would trigger the Great Tribulation. We know from this that the Great Tribulation will take place during the final three and one half years of Daniel's 70th week. So will the Antichrist rule every nation? Verse 7 states that the Antichrist will be given power over all kindreds, nations, and tongues. Yet other passages name a few nations that will not fall under the reign of the Antichrist. Daniel 11:41 states, He shall enter also into the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown, but these shall escape out of his hand, even Edom and Moab, and the chief of the children of Ammon. Edom is Petra in southern Jordan. The Moab mountains are in central Jordan and Ammon is the capital of Jordan. The scripture states specifically that the country of Jordan will escape out of the hand of the Antichrist. Revelation 12, 14 states that Israel will be protected from the Antichrist during the entire time of the Great Tribulation. Zechariah 14, 2 tells us that the Antichrist and his world government will only invade Israel at the time of the Battle of Armageddon, which occurs at the end of the tribulation. Revelation 12, 14 teaches that the eagle, the United States, will protect Israel from the Antichrist during the three and one half years of the Great Tribulation. This means that the U.S. will be in opposition to the Antichrist and his world government all the way through the Great Tribulation. How do we reconcile these facts with Revelation 13, 7, which states that the Antichrist will rule all people, nations, and tongues? There is one possible explanation. The statement must imply that the Antichrist and his world government will dominate all the world 
yet there will be a few nations that will not submit to the world government system. So will anyone escape the rule of the Antichrist? Revelation 13, 8 tells us. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. This passage states that all people on earth will worship, pledge allegiance to the Antichrist and his world government except for one group of people. The only group of people that will not worship the Antichrist will be those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb is Jesus Christ. And the only way to have our names written in the Lamb's book of life is to be born again. Jesus said in John 3, 3 through 5, that except a person is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. During the reign of the Antichrist, most people will submit themselves unto his rulership. However, there will be a minority that will hold faithful to the truth during this time, even if it costs them their lives. In our next lesson, we will learn all about the prophesied one world religion and the leader of that one world religion, the man the Bible calls the false prophet. You won't wanna miss that one. Got it? Yeah. Buy the truth and sell it not. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? It's not worth it to sell out. Jesus Christ promises that we will, how do I say it? Have you ever heard this saying? I know you all have. He's gone to a better place. He has a place that we can't even imagine prepared for us. And if we put our life in his hands and it's his, you know, we're living in his promises that we don't have to worry about what happens to us here because we know where we're going. We know the promises placed on our life, a seal, a promise for something better. And we need to grasp that. We need to embrace that, that we are promised eternal life in him. And no matter what this world does, no matter what Satan does, we have that because we have God's word on it. By the truth, sell it not. You know, we, I was thinking about how we honor soldiers that go to war for the sake of this country and they they put their life at risk for that for the sake of a political entity and and police officers that go to work every day and they put their life on the line for the people in their community and stuff and how much more how much more is it worth trusting god with your life so that you can go to the kingdom of God. It's, think about that. Think about that. He's got something better for us. I'm not saying we should be suicidal or anything like that, but 
we have a promise that's bigger than life from him. He's bigger than life. And this world and all that's in it is going to pass away. But he said, my words will not pass away. And that's what I want to count on. I want to count on the word of God and his kingdom and everything about God is forever. He, the grave couldn't hold him and the grave won't hold you if you're in Christ Jesus. Amen. 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 And I want to get there. I want to see that place. And I know you do too. So he, why is he telling this, this stuff? So we don't have to be afraid. You know, he's letting us know we don't have to be afraid if our name is written in the Lamb's yes. book. Get your name in the book and keep it there. That means do all that God wants you to do. Live it the way he wants you to live it. And your name will stay in the Lamb's book of life. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. And Brother Carnahan. Go ahead and lift our hands and begin to pray. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. You're opening our eyes, God. We do recognize that. And we appreciate that, Lord. Yes. Even here today, Lord God, you've allowed the spirit of revelation to come into this place and illumine the spirit. In Jesus' name. Yes. Oh, that's it. Oh, yes. In Jesus' name, praise God, praise God. Yes. God, the one constant about all of this end time news and revelation or whatever the case is, is there's always been a, a peace that comes with knowing that your hand is in the hand of his. And so we don't have to uh, believe that it's going to be any different, you know, that, that God does have his hand on the church. And so that's why we want to make sure that we're firmly planted on his rock, the rock. And so I appreciate the opportunity to do that. I've had a couple of people ask me about giving for this conference. And of course, we would accept any kind of giving that you want to give for the expenses and the things of that nature. And uh, I won't take a formal uh, offering here right now, but I, if you want to give money and before you leave today, you're sure welcome to do that. If you want to give online, we do have a lot of people that pursue it that way. Um, but yes, I think it would be very worthy 
of uh, what the Bible calls tithes and offerings. And I think this would be a good place to put an offering. And so I would just leave you with that recommendation and, and not for you to forget that tomorrow morning we'll be picking this back up. And I believe that the Lord's going to have a, a, a good final say here. And as we told you before, maybe this is a good incentive for us to pick up this end time Bible study and maybe take it a little more serious than we have. And so the Lord bless you today. Thanks for coming and holding out here. And again, Brother Ron will be around for a while. If you've got questions for him, you come and ask him and we give God the praise, right? Amen. Lord bless you. Thank you for coming.